a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. The Chinese State Council Information Office has just released the white paper on China's green development in the new era. It outlines milestones in China's green development. China is now a top provider of sustainable green energies and a major contributor to global carbon reduction targets. Here's a quick recap at China's green development over the past decade. In the past 10 years, China's energy sector has been transitioning towards a greener and more low-carbon structure. Officials say in 2021, a quarter of energy consumed is produced from renewable sources, up from 14.5% in 2012. And its electrical capacities from hydro, solar and biomass powers are first in the world. The country has also seen progress in cutting emissions and energy conservation, supporting a 6.5% yearly GDP growth with 3% annual energy consumption acceleration and lowered its energy intensity by 26.2% in the past decade. China's committed to carbon neutral by 2060 and to cap carbon emissions by 2030. It set up the world's largest carbon market in 2021, involving 4.5 billion tons of CO2 emissions and holding more than $2 trillion of green credit balance. Ecological and environmental conditions also continue to improve. In 2021, more than 87% of days recorded good air quality levels. That means 317 days out of 365 in the year. Compared with 2015, ash and smoke emissions were cut by tenfold after the 2014 declaration of war against pollution. Now, 23.3% of China's total land area is covered by forests. Through restoration efforts, China's afforestation now accounts for a fourth of the global total. The first group of national parks covers an area nearly the size of the UK. And the number of giant pandas and Asian wild elephants has been on a steady increase. In the cities, electrical vehicles now represent a new green lifestyle among the younger generation. The EV market share has been on a steady rise in China, with the domestic market take-up rate reaching 12% about 50% higher than the world average 7%. Now, China is not only the biggest exporter of EVs, but also consumes around half the EVs in the global market. Today, I'm joined in Beijing by Dimitri De Boer, Chief China Representative of Client Earth. And also with me here in the Beijing studio, Liu Baocheng. He's the Dean of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Uh, gentlemen, welcome back to the Hub on CGTN. Professor Liu, always good to see you. Yes. Um, Happy Lunar New Year. Um, yes. Let's talk about this white paper on grain development of China. Uh, mm -hmm. What are the highlights and what do you make of the timing of the release? Well, it is really a renewed commitment and also announcement to the world that uh, China has really achieved a great deal uh, in terms of the agenda in commitment for uh, dealing with the reduction of emission 
and also to shore up the uh, Chinese uh, industrial upgrading because we are going for high quality growth in which uh, the climate change is taken into big consideration, particularly uh, in the renewable energy development. And also uh, we can see that uh, the electric cars are really populating not only the Chinese roads, but also uh, we have been exporting more than 50% increase uh, into the world global marketplace. And then uh, we are also telling the world that uh, uh, China has uh, also a large room for further improvement, and uh, uh, that is there to give a signal to those investors that uh, for uh, green investment, and China offers a vast opportunity for them to go not only for profit, but also for sustainable development. Yeah, I'm very interested about this uh, green uh, vehicles, uh, you know, uh, green uh, vehicles that is really populating the streets of Beijing. Uh, if you, wherever you look, uh, there are charging stations for them. And you're talking about the fact that uh, China is not only making them, but exporting them. What are the major uh, countries of recipient? Uh, in which countries are Chinese green vehicles popular? Well, uh, ASEAN countries uh, are there because uh, they are the uh, Chinese top destination of exports. And uh, we can see that uh, some of my students from the ASEAN countries in Vienna, in Indonesia, they uh, enjoy the Chinese uh, electric vehicles. And uh, they are safe and they save energy and also that they feel very proud that are they are the leader of the new generation for green consumption. And we also can see that it's really appearing in the African continent and people in Kenya and in some of other, the sub-Sahara area, they like it. And more importantly, they think it's money worth because we are able to operate on big scale and uh, there is uh, more competition well, among the Chinese producers, so therefore the price uh, is really de uh, declining. And now also China welcomes Tesla. Tesla is the first the uh, greenfield operation in China without requirement of joint venture. So they are now uh, the leader. They join also the uh, competition with the Chinese partners. I think this is really a virtuous competition that can really stimulate more of those uh, uh, Chinese producers uh, who are able to benchmark and even to exceed uh, the level uh, the uh, Tesla uh, has been delivering. Yeah, electric vehicles, including uh, Tesla, are, are hugely popular among the younger generation of Chinese. Uh, Dimitri, let me turn to you. I mean, this white paper on China's green development covers so many areas. It talks about green consumption, green production, and green lifestyle. Uh, what's your takeaway from this white paper? As uh, Professor Liu was saying, you know, it's a real affirmation of the ongoing progress that's being made in China, uh, but also uh, looking towards the future and uh, looking at all of these fields, you know, it's not just one area. It's a, it's a really structural uh, part of China's uh, ongoing development. Uh, China's high quality development, China's modernization means that it has to be green. And I think the recognition now that economic growth and uh, environmental protection really can go hand in hand uh, is becoming more and more embedded uh, in the thinking in China. And China sees itself as a leader uh, in the future of all of these green sectors, which is true. Uh, and it's amazing, you know, it means that China has a, a very unique position uh, in the future of this world, um, not just as an economic leader, but actually as a, a green leader. You know, you work for Client Earth, uh, which helps broker deals and uh, getting involved in negotiations, uh, multilateral negotiations, bilateral negotiations. 
um, in terms of grain development between China and the rest of the world. Maybe you can share with us some concrete examples, some stories of yours um, that, that involve China's grain development and grain strategies. Uh, sure, absolutely. So uh, I work uh, as a team leader of uh, what's called the EU-China uh, Environment Project. And the EU and China have uh, a very positive cooperation when it comes to environment and, and climate action. And it's really positive to see that kind of uh, uh, mutually enforcing type of cooperation. And it goes to a very high level. So the vice premiers of uh, Europe and China have regular contact uh, about uh, these very important topics because they're so important to the world. And I think Europe understands uh, how important China is in this regard and, and vice versa. China continues to see uh, Europe as a, as a great friend uh, in, in all of these efforts. And uh, I just came back from Montreal in Canada where uh, a new global agreement uh, was uh, successfully achieved uh, under the UN biodiversity framework and it's all about protecting nature. Uh, the world has been losing nature at an unprecedented rate. It's very scary, actually, for the future of the planet. Uh, we cannot continue like that. And so the, the world has agreed that this uh, loss of nature has to be halted and reversed. Uh, and by 2030, 30% uh, of the planet needs to be protected, and that includes land and ocean. And China was the, the president of that whole uh, process and did a, an amazing job and has, has really gotten a lot of uh, goodwill from around the world for its role in that process. Right. Uh, Professor Liu, according to this white paper, China's grain development in the new era, um, China's energy consumption per 10,000 RMB of GDP in 2021 was 26% lower than a decade ago. And in terms of water consumption, the figure in 2021 was 45% lower than a decade ago. How significant are these numbers? Well, it is both a blessing and a curse on China because uh, we live too much on the coal as a power generation. We have a lot more coal, but uh, the distribution of water and uh, solar is uneven in China. And uh, uh, this is really a remarkable progress for China to really to reduce its reliance on the uh, coal as a generator. And we, uh, we can see that uh, there are more of the solar panels, there are more of the wind turbines that are going on. That really helped to alleviate uh, the burden on the environment while we are still going forward for economic growth. And then uh, we can also see that through public education, uh, more of the consumers are getting more agile to a green conception. And uh, uh, when we go to each of the restaurants, uh, on each of the table, they remind you that you've got to complete your uh, uh, dishes. And, uh, and now, the, uh, particularly we can see in Shanghai, there are old ladies standing uh, by the recycle bins that are to remind people that you've got to uh, be able to put the uh, garbage in the right place. People, as we said, are, are, are very keen to use more of uh, electric vehicles. The policy are there uh, to give uh, better chances to win their uh, lottery, to buy cars uh, with the uh, electric uh, cars. And so uh, the, the other way is that... Uh, you said it's a curse. It could be a curse too, right? That, uh, well, it could be a curse, but it could be troublesome. But uh, people will learn to use, uh, to use that. And the other uh, uh, big project that's going on is that we shift water from the south into the north. Uh, that's a, uh, a humongous project that can really alleviate people's uh, concern over uh, the uneven distribution. 
And uh, I think more importantly is the Chinese rural area because uh, FAO uh, used to say, oh, Chinese uh, rural area, Chinese agriculture are not really environmental uh, friendly. But now we see more of the green fields and more trees are growing uh, even within the fields, uh, you know, the farmers are plowing. And so uh, this is really a, something that is very encouraging. And when you drive on the road, actually 10 years ago in the uh, Beijing surrounding area, and now it's totally different. Now we see everything turn out to be green. So this is really uh, inspiring as a Chinese. Yeah, but we're emerging also from the pandemic and economic growth is vital because it involves jobs. Uh, it's about income. It's about uh, provision for families uh, you know, across the nation. So where is the balance between ensuring and securing a certain level of GDP growth versus sustaining this screen approach? That's a great question because after all, uh, economic growth and uh, uh, climate control are there to serve the quality of the people uh, in terms of the living standard. And uh, uh, we have to seek a balance because, for example, if we compare China with the United States, if you cook uh, for uh, 14 people, definitely you use more energy and uh, then though uh, in the United States to cook only three for people. three people. Yeah. So, uh, and the other is that uh, China is still the biggest factory for the whole world. You know, think of that. We export on annual basis the uh, value of uh, uh, nearly four tr uh, trillion US dollars worth. Most of them are really tangible goods, which is really the conception of, uh, of uh, energy and also, you know, the conception of more of the raw materials. And so we are there to shore up the uh, living standard of the rest of the world. Look at the United States, you know, both you and me have been there. You know, where are the factories to make shoes? Where are the factories to make more of the garments or the TV sets? They are using it in made in China. Yeah. So we are doing it. We are doing the dirty job for them to enjoy the cleaner environment. And uh, now we are also, you know, the largest developing country. So uh, we are still going through uh, the industrialization and urbanization process. So therefore, uh, you know, the uh, recently, I think there has been policy guideline that uh, uh, there is no rush really to, to achieve the target by sacrificing too much of the economic growth and by sacrificing too much of our uh, agricultural production. So uh, this is really the right type of approach. And this is a responsible way, not only for Chinese people, but also for the world uh, representing more of the developing countries. Yeah, Dimitri, how do you see China balancing its two priorities, the dual priorities of ensuring GDP growth and sustaining a, a green approach of growth? Well, I mean, it's obvious uh, recently you know, that you can see that economic development and environment protection really don't, they're not at odds with each other. You know, you might have some instances in certain industries where, yes, it costs a bit of more money to do, to do it the environmental way, but in the long run, that really pays off. And so, and it also provides new business opportunities and new employment opportunities for the people who are working uh, on that. And so, I think the real question then also is uh, how, how much do we want to make sure that, uh, that, you know, as we grow older in the next decades and that our children can also live in a good world. You know, the problem is if we, if we develop our economies in an unsustainable way, uh, all of this stuff is going to bite back really hard 
uh, and we're already seeing that, you know, with climate change being uh, much more serious every year now uh, and causing billions and billions of economic damage, not just in the United States and in Europe, but also in China and also even in countries that did very little to contribute to that uh, in Africa and other, and they're actually the hit the hardest, you know. So, so it's, not like, it's not like there's really a choice in my mind. Uh, it, it has to be. Uh, that we go uh, and develop our economies in a, in a green way and actually it also provides the best economic opportunities uh, and best employment opportunities. Interestingly, as we are recovering from COVID, you know, the COVID uh, de depression, it caused a uh, uh, decrease in certain uh, economic activities and they made it harder uh, for China to achieve its uh, 14 five-year plan targets. And I firmly believe that as, we, as China recovers from COVID, uh, economic uh, depression is going to become easier for the 14 five-year targets to be achieved and that's because they have been defined in a uh, intensity way so if, it, if the economy is strong it becomes easier to achieve the emissions targets but the transition might not be all that smooth right Dimitri if you think about it the government can of course issue directives you know asking for example a coal-fired power plant to close but where will the 10,000 let's say 10,000 or 20,000 employees go I mean, other than government directives, what else does it take for China's green transition to be smoother? So, so this is what we, we call this uh, the just transition. And it means that governments need to think about uh, who loses their job from this transition. Because we know as a whole economy, the whole economy stands to gain. There are more employment opportunities in the green sectors. Uh, and so, and they're, they're more long-term, they're for the future, and it's better for everybody. So, but the question is, what do we do with uh, those difficult situations where people do lose their work uh, or they have specialties in the areas that are not longer uh, strategic for the future? And so their special support mechanisms are needed, retraining programs and other things to make sure that those people can actually uh, uh, live uh, their, you know, enjoy good livelihoods throughout the transition. Yeah, uh, Professor Liu, what do you think? I mean, much, if not uh, the majority, of China's energy still comes from coal and conventional energy sources. Um, how do you see the transitioning happen in, in the next years and decades? All sustainable development or green development will not be able to compromise the uh, dignity of the people in living standard and in uh, most of the productive uh, efforts. Uh, to reduce dependence on the coal supply is a very gradual process for China uh, when we are really making uh, stuff for the whole world to enjoy. So therefore, how we can really introduce more of the new technologies to uh, better wash the coal and also uh, how we can really collect, uh, collect and control the emission. And that's uh, a lot we can, uh, room we can uh, improve. And the other, of course, you know, we can uh, shift more into hydro, into solar, and, uh, uh, you know, many other of the ways. And uh, they, uh, we can see that uh, many of the Chinese research institutions are going for hydrogen, uh, hydrogen and uh, even nuclear fusion. And these are really not that delivered, uh, uh, you know, before the delivery. Uh, we have to be able to be more realistic uh, in that regard. But... Uh, uh, more importantly, I think, uh, is really how we can really, really reduce the uh, energy intensity, uh, which means that uh, to produce one unit of GDP, how much energy you use. So to compare 
uh, with Japan, with Germany, and those countries who are very savvy in using of the technologies, and China uh, ha also has a large room. Uh, in this way, uh, we can uh, maintain our productive level, but in the meantime, to reduce the consumption of those energies. And uh, uh, now we also need uh, a better a global environment. For example, we used to export a lot of solar panels to the United States. And for anti-dumping purposes, uh, many of the Chinese companies are put back. And uh, Europe, so we had a, uh, a very intense time with Europe, but Europe is really getting more realistic, accepting more of the Chinese solar panels without imposing the punitive tariff on China. So. You know, all, you know, we are all sharing uh, one village uh, on this uh, Mother Earth, so therefore it is really the coordinated efforts. It's not only China. Mm -hmm. And also that uh, uh, more of the technological cooperation with the rest of the world, for example, by uh, reducing the use of pesticides, by, uh, by reducing the, uh, the use of uh, chemical fertilizers, all of these uh, is not really there to benefit uh, China, but also really to benefit the world. Yeah, it takes a systems approach and a change of mindset. Uh, this year marked the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative, and China has been proposing this green BRI, uh, no more coal-fired power plants overseas. Um, how realistic is it and how feasible is it going forward? I'm not really particularly in favor of, uh, you know, a dramatic change in the, such a policy because if you see some of the uh, developing countries or even least developing countries uh, along the Belt and Road, they do need power generation for infrastructure development for the basic industrialization. And for example, uh, one specific example, Madagascar. Mm. You know, they don't they don't have much of the oil at least discovered, but uh, they recently discovered the coal mine, and uh, they don't have the money to buy the gas and coal yeah. from uh, you know crude oil from other countries. So. You know, they are also entitled for industrialization, urbanization, and better life. So, uh, therefore, if they do really need the power, uh, coal-driven power, and uh, uh, what we can do is there, uh, you know, to make it more environmental friendly, but still uh, using uh, the coal supply. And also for the uh, uh, commitment of, uh, you know, uh, refraining from uh, exporting it, but for the many of other the uh, coal plants that are, uh, are already being built halfway, and there's further waste if really we scrap it, uh, you know, uh, halfway. So therefore, we have yeah. to be more realistic, and we also have to respect the need of those, uh, you know, customers uh, around the world, and particularly along uh, along the Belt Road. And uh, I think now. China is now a leader of the global south and uh, represented, uh, you know, uh, mostly by the Belt and Road countries. And China should really give a very strong voice. The world should still uh, maintain the policy of common but differentiated responsibility and respect the uh, development need of those uh, developing countries and also to push the uh, developed world to really deliver their promise to offer on annual basis, uh, you know, 100 billion U.S. dollars to support the energy transition of those poor countries. Common but differentiated responsibilities. We have been talking about that for over two decades now, I believe. Dimitri, what are your thoughts on the green BRI or the greening of the BRI? 
Well, uh, I've been uh, working on that a lot with uh, the, the Chinese government in the last couple of years, and uh, uh, I'm actually very impressed with uh, the, the progress that, that's being made. And I fully support the decision to no longer uh, invest in, uh, in coal-fired power plants overseas. Uh, it's something that the United Nations Secretary General has also emphasized is absolutely necessary for the world to achieve uh, the Paris Agreement's target of uh, keeping global warming well below 2 degrees and preferably uh, to no more than 1.5 degrees uh, towards the end of the uh, century. And we're seeing now that, you know, with only one degree of warming, uh, there's already a lot of disasters happening around the world, and that's only going to intensify because uh, as we're going currently, more and more uh, carbon emissions are ending up in the atmosphere. Uh, we're very far from being carbon neutral as a, as a world. And so the real risk is, you know, um, are we helping uh, developing countries with, uh, with, with a power solution or are we helping them with a solution that is just not fit uh, for this century? And I think that's going to be a real problem as we go into 2030, 2035. You'll see that a lot of coal-fired power plants investments today uh, uh, in the world, but also in China, are going to be uh, considered, you know, to be in hindsight a very bad decision because they're going to have to be closed down prematurely and basically uh, that's just a huge waste of money. There are many other solutions today to make sure that uh, there's a very stable uh, and um, what do you call that, uh, sufficient power supply. So we need to help the developed world to leapfrog uh, to a modern energy solution and that's absolutely possible if we all put our minds to it. So when it comes to Green Belt and Road, what I think is really necessary now is to develop that green project pipeline to really help think with partner countries about what does the best uh, power system for that country look like in the future and then to support them in achieving that. That could be the deployment of renewable energy, it could be investments in the grid, it could be also um, supporting them perhaps in developing their manufacturing industries. Think about it. You know, China can't be the only country, let's say, that has a huge uh, uh, production capacity of solar and wind and other modern solutions. If we really want the global climate transition to work, other developing countries will also want to have their uh, industries. And so perhaps supporting them in developing those industries could also be a great way to really accelerate this transition. Yeah, great tips. You know, this State Council Information Office of China's um, white paper on green development in the new era is really an affirmation, uh, another demonstration of China's commitment to its ecological civilization, uh, which is a, a very important um, concept some can argue that this is a political jargon. Of course, it takes time to, to, uh, to decode and to understand China's political jargons. What's your understanding of this ecological civilization, Dimitri? Well, uh, I love it. <laughs> I think it's a really good concept. In fact, uh, I like it so much because it's a, it's a, it's a positive vision. You know? uh, sustainable development, in my mind, doesn't say that much, other than that you can continue to sustain it. But an ecological civilization, it says something about who we are as a people and how we want to live on this world uh, in harmony with nature. Um, it's very positive. Uh, the, I think what some people worry about, it, it sounds a bit fluffy or they think it sounds too... Uh, too nice to be true, you know? But why, why would it be too nice to be true? You know, if we all work towards that vision, I think we can achieve it. And I think China is really showing that, uh, that it's really possible to make a lot of progress towards that. So what I'm seeing is that, you know, environmental, people who love the environment around the world, uh, they actually really like this concept of an ecological civilization. That's all the time we have, I'm afraid. And thank you for this conversation. Our news coverage continues on CGTN.